On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health Systems Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Alex Varkey as we discuss the operational challenges associated with leading through a global pandemic. Hi everyone and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by the Ohio State University Lashley Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Dr. Alex Varkey is Director of Pharmacy Services for Houston Methodist Hospital, the 924-bed nonprofit academic flagship hospital of Houston Methodist and eight hospital health system in Texas. Alex received his PharmD degree from the University of Houston College of Pharmacy and his Master of Science in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership from The Ohio State University, concurrently completing a two-year pharmacy administration residency at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, let's jump into our interview with Alex. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you having me. It's really great to have you on. It's also great to have uh, an OSU alumnus part of our program on, Go Bucks. And uh, so it's great to open up this conversation with you about uh, the challenges we all faced, you and I faced, along with many of our alumni, uh, managing uh, and leading our pharmacy departments and also much of our organizations uh, during the COVID pandemic. And obviously, we had the initial parts of the pandemic, and now we've got uh, sort of ongoing concerns, and it's really great to have you on the show. I appreciate you taking your time. I did, ta- I did give a brief introduction of you, but are, is there anything else that you want the audience to know about you? Sure. Uh, so I, I think the first thing that uh, you should know about me is that I enjoy teaching and, and learning from other people. Uh, I think of all the responsibilities that we have as health system pharmacy administrators, that's probably my favorite thing to do by far. Uh, it's learning from others, getting inspired, and hopefully getting the chance to return the favor in the process. Uh, I think the other thing that I'd say is that I'm proud to serve our profession and have done so through several appointments and elected positions. And most recently, I was elected to serve on the American Pharmacists Association Board of Trustees. And I just started my three-year term on the board this past March. Yes, and I did. And I'm sorry that I didn't uh, mention that, but that is an incredible achievement. And thank you very much for your service. That's 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 awesome, and obviously, you know, your wife Divya uh, is an alumnus, and she's a very successful uh, educator uh, at the University of Houston, very successful leader uh, as well. And you guys have done a great job in uh, growing the Houston program, which has really been supported uh, in great part uh, by one of our other alumnus, uh, Roger Anderson. So, thank you again for sort of carrying on the tradition down there in Houston. 
Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, down here, we, we affectionately call it OSU South, <laughs> for, you know, for some of us. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, we always enjoy the camaraderie amongst all the HSPAL programs and, and certainly love our, our partnership and opportunities to connect with, with OSU. Yes. Um, so okay, it's, uh, it's March, I guess for us, it was March 13th. It might've been April 1st for you, but you know, obviously January, we started hearing rumblings of this virus in China and all of a sudden nine choir members get infected in Seattle and many, you know, I'm sorry, 50 or whatever got infected and several got sick. And all of a sudden, before we knew it, uh, you know, uh, the coronavirus, the SARS infection was rampant across our country. So starting from sort of the day that your organization said, hey, we're canceling elective surgeries, we're canceling a lot of outpatient appointments, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're limiting, you know, access to the hospital, visitors, all that stuff. Sort of walk us through the timeline of how, how that all happened. And, but most importantly, you know, what was the pharmacy's role in the whole sequencing and timing of sort of how you responded uh, to the whole COVID pandemic? Absolutely. So hospital leadership had preliminary discussions across the health system probably that last week of February heading into March. Um, you know, we knew it was just a matter of time before Houston would be affected, uh, being a large urban uh, city, we're the fourth largest city in the country. Um, we already saw what was happening in New York and in Washington State, as you mentioned. Uh, and, and it just so happened, a, a colleague of mine uh, working out in Sarasota in Florida had mentioned that they had just received their first COVID patient right around that same time. And so as they were putting together their initial treatment algorithm, I immediately asked if they could just share what they were researching with us. Um, and we had our first uh, meeting in March as a system directors group and on March 4th. And, and just a, a few days after that meeting, we saw our first COVID patient in the health system. Uh, and so it was at that meeting on March 4th that I you know, brought up this algorithm that the colleague of mine out in Sarasota had put together preliminarily. And that's when we started having conversations about what our treatment algorithm might look like, what are some of the medications we need to, to look out for as far as supply management and things of that sort. And concurrently, our ID clinical pharmacy specialist, specifically our system antimicrobial stewardship pharmacy lead, was having discussions with Gilead about their phase three studies on remdesivir. And so we became one of the early participants in two of their studies, thanks to, to her foresight and her leadership. Um, I think kind of getting back to the timeline question, uh, we had two distinct phases here in Houston that, that you know, was largely covered by the news. I think the first phase was in March and April, just as you mentioned. Um, that's when the statewide stay-at-home orders were put in, cancellation of surgical procedures, as you mentioned, uh, so that institutions could be prepared to take on that potential wave of COVID patients. Uh, businesses and schools were shut down. I mean, you know, the town looked like a, a ghost town, and the hospital looked like a ghost town. I'm sure that's probably how it was across the country at that same time. We, we relied on our, our ID pharmacists working alongside our ID physicians and others to put together our first treatment algorithm, just looking at all the research and what was coming out, you know, each, each and every week, it seemed. Uh, and we were meeting uh, twice a week 
to discuss the algorithm and, and uh, potential changes to that. Uh, that's when we were really working with our supply chain teams to ensure that there was enough stock of those treatments in-house. Uh, we wanted to have a plan in place to easily distribute medications across the system if in case there just happened to be a surge of patients in one of our eight hospitals. Um, but really at that time, a bigger concern supply-wise was PPE. So we were consulting with references from the CDC to make sure we had enough supplies to keep our staff safe. Um, and, you know, largely still learning about transmission risks and, you know, whether it was airborne, droplet precautions, things of that sort. Uh, we were consulting references from USP on how this was going to affect our sterile compounding procedures and what were our options for, um, you know, reusing um, PPE in that particular arena just to make sure that we could handle supply shortages if and when they happen. Uh, fortunately, we didn't experience any emergent shortages in either drugs or PPE during that first phase. And so we started to see the numbers go down in May. And then, you know, in hindsight, maybe the state reopened a little too soon. Um, but, you know, because I think, you know, probably in May was when we decided to reopen. So it was a combination of that Memorial Day weekend. You had your social events, protests, things of that sort. And so the spike that we saw in late June, early July was four times as large as what we saw in, in April. Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, hospitals were at above normal capacity. And that's when we initiated plans to convert either closed or immediate care units into either med surge or ICU COVID units. Outside of our health system, we saw that uh, our county hospitals were relying on uh, our city's freestanding children's hospital, Texas Children's, to open up some of their units to help. And that's part of their emergency management strategy as well. But I think if, you know, it was a scary time to be a Houstonian, because if you weren't intimately familiar with hospital operations and some of these emergency flex plans, what you may have seen and interpreted is that if you became sick, there would be no beds for you. And that just wasn't the case. Well, that's how, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's a little bit, and of course, you know, <clears throat> I understood about, you know, what you just said about hospital operations, but in the media, it, it was portrayed in many ways as there were no beds. Absolutely. That was crazy. So yeah and so you know part you know in, in that scenario you know you're you're kind of fighting several uh, separate enemies right i mean there's obviously our attention to the pandemic but then you know our patients are dealing with a myriad other health care issues and concerns and we didn't want to you know the last thing we wanted was for somebody to be at home you know dying of a of a, an acute heart ailment or something else because they felt like they weren't going to receive care if, if they were to head to the hospital and, and I'm sure that, you know, certainly, you know, you probably dealt with that in Columbus. We certainly dealt with that here in Houston. Um, but, you know, fortunately for us, I think, you know, our, our, that first phase in March and April really taught us a lot about what processes we needed to have in place as far as supply chain management, um, you know, processes to keep our staff safe, processes to keep our patients safe. Uh, all of that helped us address the much larger spike. Uh, so fortunately, the levels were where we're at right now are closer to where we were in April uh, or March and April. And we thought that was sort of the surge back then, um, not really knowing just what we were capable of handling. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're on this other side of at least this spike. Hopefully we don't see another spike like it. Well, I'm glad you are as well. So 
then obviously your your department was involved in the hospital incident command system. You had regular meetings with all the various parts of the incident command system, I'm assuming. And what was what was pharmacy's role outside of pharmacy? Did you have any other roles? Obviously, antibiotic stewardship was directly involved, probably in remdesivir allocation, I assume. But what other roles did some pharmacy folks uh, assume? Yeah, so uh, during that time, um, you know, when we saw the OR cases diminish to virtually nothing, um, you know, we, you know, that of course affected admissions, um, closing down certain units within that first phase. And so our, our health system initiated a, a system-wide labor pool so that, you know, everyone had the opportunity to essentially, you know, make their hours whole, but still fill in in other areas. And so, you know, we had several staff fill in in our screening stations, uh, taking temperatures of everybody coming into the hospital. We, you know, we limited our entrances and exits across the health system, uh, you know, severely limited our visitors, uh, eliminated most of them, um, you know, just for, for safety of the general public as well as patients um, and healthcare personnel. And so a lot of our staff, if they weren't scheduled to work, uh, in within a pharmacy area, had the opportunity to sign up for a labor pool assignment, which typically was in those screening stations. Um, you know, beyond that, I think you know, still pharmacy related, but you know, we weighed in on on medication administration strategies. Um, you know, we had to look at our uh, diabetes management process and looking at okay, are there ways to maintain high quality of care for diabetes patients, but maybe not necessarily have to rely on such frequent uh, glucose check, blood glucose check. Oh, yes, that's, there, a, great, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, there are a way that we can uh, reduce the number of checks so that you're not necessarily having the nurse go in and out as often. Perhaps that can help conserve PPE, but at the same time doesn't affect the care for the patient. You know, we're looking at uh, IV administration strategies. Uh, ISMP posted uh, you know, how several hospitals were having the IV pump outside of the room you know, pausing for, you know, needing to use a lot more extension sets and things like that. So we wanted to weigh in from a medication safety standpoint, just to ensure that our nurses were well equipped with the knowledge necessary of, of how to ensure the patient was still receiving their therapy in the safest way possible, how to manage those lines in that kind of environment, um, and, and just be a resource to them in that aspect. So I think, you know, from a safety and quality standpoint, we're fortunate to have a, a, a very strong voice in that arena. And so we just continue to, to be a resource to, to our nursing leaders and partners, uh, as well as our physician leaders to ensure that um, everyone was as safe as possible in providing care for our patients. Yeah. So, so this, you know, obviously, you know, these different roles and some of the things you had to do differently tested your leadership skills, I assume. So what, what about the pandemic tested your leadership skills? What was the, probably some of the biggest leadership challenges and, and, and how did you cope with them? <laughs> oh man, it it uh, it tested everything, Bob. Uh, seriously, I think. it's probably it's probably a it's probably a you know a a topic of a whole other podcast, right? <laughs> For sure, yeah. I I think we yeah we could probably take another hour to talk about that. Um, yeah, I, I think you know being in Houston, we're no stranger to managing emergencies, right? But uh, you know, I, I often joke with uh, with folks that you know if you want to be a hospital pharmacy director in Houston or any of the you know, the Gulf cities, you, you almost have to minor in meteorology to, to read all the weather maps and, and things of that sort. Um, 
but you know, alluding to that, I think the kinds of emergencies we had managed through before uh, were the kinds that you know we could see on a weather map, and so you can predict its trajectory. You know, it was probably going away within a week. Uh, you know, some of those unfortunately have been particularly damaging for us in the Houston area. You know, everyone remembers Hurricane Harvey three years ago, uh, Tropical Storm Allison fifteen years or so before that. Uh, but this is a completely different beast. Um, it's a sustained state of emergency that's prompting us to be even more adaptable and, and braver than we've ever had to be. And to sustain those levels and stay encouraged and focused, I think that's that's really tough. And so, you know, we've had team members and their families affected by COVID. Some of our team members have lost loved ones and their families. And we've seen people we worked with in other departments ultimately succumb to COVID. I know that, you know, you've seen, you know, department leaders at OSU that have succumbed to COVID. And so, you know, dealing with fear, grief, anxiety amidst the normal stresses that already come with patient care, and trying to find ways to ensure that our staff feel safe and supported, that's probably stretched all of us beyond any comprehensible measure, and it continues to. I mean, you know, this isn't going away anytime soon. And so managing the new normal, as a lot of people like to call it, uh, has stretched us in so many ways. Um, you know, and, and we continue to adapt. I think, you know, people, uh, if if anything is true about healthcare professionals, I mean, you know, it's kind of like the, the firefighter analogy. We run towards the fire and we rally around one another to, to ensure that, you know, we take care of our patients. Um, but, you know, now more than ever, it's more uh, important for all of us to, to practice self-care. And, and I think we, as leaders in health systems, need to ensure that we provide the support that our, our teams need uh, to know that they have our support uh, in, in achieving self-care when they need it and get away from the fire. Yeah, that is, uh, <clears throat> that is a tough balance because you need like the smartest, the best, you know, your people are all smart and they're good. And you need them all sort of all hands on deck, but then you've got to figure out how do I give people a break? I know that was one of the things that we struggled with and, you know, part of the fact that we, we still do alternate sort of working from home and working in the office for some of our leadership team, uh, I do think it does help them to, to re just reduce their stress and just give them just a little bit of flexibility in their job while being able to meet all of the demands of their job. So, um, yeah, it's a very uh, difficult time for leaders. What, what, what's an example of, uh, of some of the things you've done a little bit differently to help keep your people, to help their, to keep their stamina up, to keep them healthy, to keep them sort of in the game? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, our health system has, has done quite a bit uh, in, in order to, you know, maintain the pulse of, um, you know, all of the departments within the hospital, certainly pharmacies included in that. You know, they've opened up support groups uh, for folks that have either, you know, succumbed to COVID or, you know, are just now coming back, um, you know, to, to the workforce. We've had, um, you know, sev several different resources that were provided from, you know, sort of like an online uh, counseling type resource, um, you know, they, and they're really trying to arm, uh, help hospital leadership is trying to arm uh, department leadership with uh, resources that we could, you know, provide our staff to kind of keep, help keep their stamina going. I think, you know, at the worst of some of our spike, of the second spike, I should say, um, you know, watching what our critical care 
uh, clinical pharmacy specialists were dealing with on on a daily basis. I think I think you know they they talk about this in sort of the wellness and um, you know well being and burnout space about this uh, concept of moral injury, where you know a a healthcare professional sees that this active issue is going on and they don't feel like they can pull themselves away. They feel like they have to stay until it's over. You know, not realizing that you know there's more and more patients to take care of that are coming through and, um, and that if we don't take that time, you know, to, to step away, to ask for help or to ask for a break, um, you know, whether it's a, a personal day or something else, we have found ourselves in situations where, you know, we've had to talk uh, to, our, to our clinicians and to other um, pharmacists and technicians within our team who just, are filled with an overwhelming sense of responsibility to our patients um, and to the, the healthcare workers that they work with to, to tell them that it's okay to take a break, it's okay to take time off, uh, and to not feel bad about that because, you know, we need you for the long haul. And uh, so I think that's, you know, probably some of the examples that, that um, you know, we've tried to initiate over the course of this pandemic. Well, that's great. And then I, I know that, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we know you how great your program is and, and, and we know how much you guys all care for your staff just because our, our residents that we've trained have gone down there and worked for you and given us great feedback on your great organization. And uh, uh, sounds to me like you've done a very good job in keeping people, I wouldn't say propped up, but keeping people in the game in a very positive way and providing them the time off necessary. And I think many of us forget that you know there are people taking care of patients and those people need to take care of themselves to take care of patients you know so so now that we've sort of we sort of uh you know we've kind of we've gotten through i don't know that we've gotten through the worst of this alex but i think we've certainly gotten through a a a time of surge and so you know hospitals are now recovering and so what's been the strategy that's been asked of the pharmacy to participate and help with COVID recovery for your organization? So, um, you know, as far as our recovery plan, our, you know, as with every plan, it starts from the top, right? So our, our health system CEO, Dr. Mark Boom, has basically outlined five principles to our recovery plan. So the, the, the first and foremost item of that plan is, is attention to safety and quality, uh, with the ultimate goal of being the world's safest health system. And as I mentioned before, you know, pharmacy does have a strong voice in, in our safety and quality efforts within the health system and, and certainly within this hospital. Uh, and certainly that aligns with, with a lot of our departmental strategy as well. Uh, you know, the second on his plan or um, his principles is that they, we anticipate normal volumes, um, you know, as early as next month. Uh, and so we're already seeing current volumes within the last couple of weeks, you know, creep towards that. Um, we're committed to maintaining full operations through the pandemic, and as a result, you know, from a budget standpoint, you know, we'll probably start to see things look more like what we was originally forecasted. Um, and, and the final thing that he mentioned is that you know we're committed to staying the course with our strategic advantages, and so that means you know caring for our team members, investing in academic programs, uh, innovation strategies, and, and continuing strategic expansions. And so, from a pharmacy perspective. We're committed to the exact same thing. Uh, we're answering a few key questions. How can we continue to make our systems and our patients as safe as possible? Uh, what innovative strategies or technologies can we invest to help our team members gain efficiency? And so, 
you know, what telehealth strategies, for example, can, can we institute within our operations to gain some of that efficiency and, and maintain safety and quality? What are our opportunities to become more cost-effective in treatment strategies? Uh, you know, I think these are the same goals that we've always had, but I think, um, you know, given this need for, for recovery, um, with, there's a renewed sense of commitment to ensure that we're doing our part in alignment with our institution and the health system. Wow, that's a that's a big bill to, to you know to fill, and I'm assuming I know just like us, a lot of people are depending on my department to kind of come up. And I wouldn't say come up big, but come up with some some strategies similar to what you guys are talking about: <clears throat> uh, efficiencies, revenue generation through specialty pharmacy, retail pharmacy, all of these things that put more pressure on us, and then pro- obviously pressure on the leaders, me and you, and the people that work for you. So what's your continued plan for continuing to support your people? It's just sort of the same things you've been doing, trying to make sure they get take care of themselves, that they, you know, that they, you know, really get the rest that they need to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So so our long-term strategy can can probably summarize into seven different steps. Um, so so first we're gonna do everything that we can to continue limiting pharmacy staff exposure by continually evaluating workflows and workspaces and making sure that our team members feel safe in providing care for patients and that our systems that they provide care are the safest possible for patient care. Uh, you know, second, we're going to continue uh, helping facilitate efforts to limit other healthcare staff exposure uh, during medication management. So, you know, we talked about the IV pump strategic placement, diabetes management strategies. Um, you know, we're just trying to look at what can we do from a medication management standpoint to not just help pharmacy staff, but all healthcare staff uh, to ensure that, that everyone's safe in the process. Uh, third, uh, we'll, we'll still provide the same services we've always provided alongside the interdisciplinary team, optimizing medication therapy regimens. Uh, and we're also going to uh, continue participating in research and analytics related to COVID treatment. Um, you know, as we continue to try to figure out what that magic bullet is, as we continue to wait for, you know, a vaccine to, to be produced and, and available, you know, we're going to continue being part of those research efforts and analytics to, to ensure that we uh, optimize our treatment strategy and our, our treatment algorithm. Uh, next, we're going to manage, manage uh, medication and supply inventories uh, continually to mitigate impacts related to shortages. Um, fifth, we'll monitor our productivity and ensure we stay the course budget-wise. You, you know, you alluded to this. I mean, there, there's always pressure uh, on on health system administrators to ensure that you know we provide the best quality of care for our patients, but at the same time, you know, we ensure we keep the lights on. Uh, next, uh, we're leveraging technology, supporting social distancing as well as generate efficiency in patient care. So right now, we're piloting offsite pharmacy order verification. Uh, and we're looking at opportunities to scale that across the health system to see if there's, uh, you know, an added benefit to that. Uh, certainly, you know, some can talk about, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, employee satisfaction that could probably come with that type of strategy as well. But, you know, perhaps with the, the limit on uh, distractions uh, within the work area, perhaps there's greater efficiencies to, to gain as well. Uh, and finally, just uh, streamline communication to our teams, pay attention to our team members' needs, and and do all we can to mitigate burnout risk. And you know, as I mentioned, I think this is a sustained stressful time on top of the existing stresses in healthcare and in pharmacy. And our lives have changed drastically over the last six or seven months. And we need to keep uh, our teams and, and team members feeling supported and, and safe while they're here. 
Absolutely. So those, those are awesome. And I think those seven strategies will be very, very beneficial, Alex, to our alumni as they listen to this podcast. So I, I, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness in that and sort of the expertise and sort of understanding the big picture and really distilling it down to some very simple but logical steps uh, to keep going. So, you know, the question I always ask folks when I'm uh, interviewing them is, um, what are, what's a favorite book you're reading? What's something that you've read recently or something that you've done recently that's inspired you to either be a better person, a uh, better leader? What would you say that is? Yeah, so um, I think one of the books that, that sticks out to me uh, the most right now is a book titled Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. Uh, it's by Herminia Ibarra. Um, one, it, it's, it's, it's just an excellent read in that she's a great writer. It's really easy to read uh, and follow along. It's a quick read, um, you know, despite its size. Um, and I think the thing that I really like about it is that, you know, typically we, we feel like we need to research, uh, you know, what it takes to be an effective leader, you know, read up on it and then try to emulate what, you know, um, what, you know, those particular readings say, I think this kind of turns that mindset kind of on, on its head a little bit and that, you know, really we develop better skills and strategies by acting them out first, you know, by, by, you know, sort of taking the leap, taking the dive first and acting like a leader. And it's from what we learn from those actions and really just kind of taking those dives and, to where we start to conceptualize what our leadership strategy actually is. And so, um, you know, I, I, I kind of like that, that different take uh, on learning and, and growing. And uh, I think it's a, an important, uh, important book for, for any aspiring leader to read. Well, that's great. So I have really enjoyed talking to you today, Alex. And I, I can tell you that your university is extremely proud of you. And extremely proud of your wife and you and what you've done uh, for your patients. And I just want to let you know that Ohio State University is very proud to call you one of our alumni. And so thank you very much for your service to the profession, particularly as the APHA board. I, I think you serve a, a, a huge role as Dr. Scott Knorr, you know, takes the helm and he's done some great things. And I think uh, you know, through this uh, whole pandemic, I think uh, Scott's been very active. I think you can also, you know, lend a lot of expertise, but thank you again for your service. And uh, the last thing, I guess the very last thing is, you know, obviously we both have residency programs and is there any um, words of wisdom you can uh, impart to the residents that will be listening to this podcast, which will could be residents actually from all across the country involved? In health system pharmacy leadership programs, sure. Uh, you know, I think the probably the the biggest lesson that I learned from you know my experience as a resident and my experience beyond being a resident is, is to take advantage of every and any opportunity you get. Uh, you know, when you are a, a health system pharmacy administration resident or any type of resident for that matter. Um, you know, one, one of the stories I like sharing with our residents here uh, is that. You know, when, when Carl Kapler was my residency program director at Nationwide Children's Hospital uh, as a second year uh, health system pharmacy administration resident, he really pushed me to be more involved with health system pharmacy admin program development 
um, not to date myself, but that's when uh, Farm Academics' predecessor, ResiTrack, just came. Uh, and so, you know, he, he was, you know, sort of having me uh, involved in the process of kind of building our evaluation tools and things like that. And I remember being so frustrated with him, you know, thinking, you know, my gosh, I'm, I'm a pharmacy administration resident. I'm here to learn about health system pharmacy administration. You've got me, you know, learning about the residency program itself and, you know, its makeup and evaluation tools and things like that. And I, and I remember feeling, you know, sort of that initial thought of, ah, oh, this is taking away from my time of learning other things I need to learn as a health system administrator. And then not two years later, I'm starting a health system pharmacy administration residency at Houston Methodist Hospital. And all of those experiences helped help me streamline that effort uh, in the short timeline we had, you know, from, uh, from conception to recruiting our first resident. Uh, and so I, I certainly ate my words in that example or in that, in that uh, situation. And so I just tell every resident, if you ever uh, feel at any moment that an assignment or an opportunity is a waste of your time, uh, you will learn that you will eat your words at some point in your career uh, because of what you gain from that experience. Well, that's a great example. And, and I, I, I hope, I hope when our residents listen to this podcast, that they will listen very clearly to what you said, because sometimes I get that same response. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Alex, it's been, uh, it's been great to talk to you. Please, uh, Give our regards to everybody in the Houston program and uh, have a great uh, week and take care and be safe, okay? We'll, we'll do, certainly. Thanks again for the opportunity, Bob. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.